seated. Well, good morning. Morning. Yay. There's a few people. You're awake. I know it. So <laughs> we're glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Michael. I'm the pastor here, and we're uh, not only glad that you're here in person, but if you're here online or listening later, uh, then we're also uh, very excited for you to be here. And so we've been in our series, New Life. And today we're in Psalm chapter 17. And we've all been kind of wondering as things transition to more normal or more like they used to be, but not quite like they used to be. And we keep thinking about what this new life is going to be like, what it's going to look like, uh, how things will be for the rest of time, or at least the rest of the time that we're alive. And so uh, it may look different, but I think there's hope. I think there's new life found in the Lord for sure, and certainly perspective that He gives us. And so today in Psalm chapter 17, we'll be looking at this idea of living ears, living ears. And the phrase I want you to remember is, the greatest listener of all time. And so um, you, uh, you may have heard it said, you have two ears and one mouth. So you need to listen twice as much as you talk. Uh, and so that's a, a good word for me as I was you know, just kind of working through this and um, studying some things. I thought, wow, there's a lot of stuff I need to learn, right? Uh, maybe you find yourself in the same place or maybe you're a great listener. This is just going to be a reminder today. Uh, but the truth is that we know who the greatest listener is of all time, and it's God. There may be some of you who are better listeners than others, uh, but we know God's always there, and we can always go to Him, especially as believers. He's not just uh, omnipresent, but as believers, we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, and we can always, always go to Him. And so there's nothing that, that, that maybe you feel like, and God, is, is there any way I can share this with you? I know it may be hard for you to hear. Well, there's nothing that's too hard for God to hear. He already knows everything, and that's what makes Him one of the greatest listeners, well, the greatest listener of all time. And so as I was uh, reading through this and studying it, I was looking at just some, some things that different people said about Psalm chapter 17, because it's a psalm that um, uh, is kind of spread out over all of David's life. So he kind of, uh, it's almost like this um, uh, little tidbit or snippets of, uh, of a diary, if David ever wrote one, um, and that he, he kind of goes back to it at different points in his life, and he writes down things as he's learning them and as he's growing with the Lord. And so it was interesting, I came across this from uh, Augustine, uh, that he said just about the whole chapter, and he said, O Lord our God, under shadow of your wings, let us hope, protect, and carry us. You will carry us when we are small children, even to our old age. And so it gives us perspective. When Augustine was reading this, he, uh, he noticed that there was this theme that all throughout David's life, he relied on the Lord. And it wasn't that he didn't make mistakes, but he focused on this idea that man, God is always there. He's always listening. He's always ready to give us wisdom and guidance and counsel. But the question is, do we hold him in high enough regard or the highest regard that we would go to him all the time? We would say, you know, he always wants to listen to me. He always wants to hear me. Um, one of the things I do with Alana just for fun, um, when we get up in the mornings, I, I go to her bed and I pick her up and I hold her in my arms. And I think about her as a little baby, you know, because it's like when you, you took your firstborn child home from the hospital, there's something really special about that. And every kid that came after that, when you're holding that first child in your arms, you're going... Well, first of all, I have no idea what I'm doing. That's one of the things that I thought. Uh, but then the other thing was, wow, God's given me this amazing gift for just a time. And uh, so I hold her in my arms and said, I said, Lana, I love you. She said, I love you too, Dad. And she said something to me um, 
that I don't know if she said before, maybe she has, I just didn't remember it, but this morning she said, I could be here forever. And uh, I thought, my eyes started to tear up. And then and, uh, I said, well, Lana, I could be too. And so just to give us perspective, I think sometimes we think of God like somebody who's really far away, right? And as we walk through this psalm, we need to remember that God's this God that just like maybe you as a parent took your kid home from the hospital and you're holding them in your arms and subsequently you try to go back to that place even though they grow and they grow. And you want to hold him in your arms, and, and, and God's this God that when he looks at us, and then when we look back at him, we should have that perspective, I could be here forever, right? And so that's the question. Do we have that perspective, and do we really believe he's the greatest listener of all time? If he is, um, then we will feel like that. We can be with him forever, because we will be. And so maybe you're new to the book of Psalms, maybe you're new to the Bible altogether. Those who are here, maybe listen online, and um, you kind of think, like, I don't really know what this is about. Well, we know that David wrote over half the Psalms. There were a few other authors, and Ezra, as he returns from exile, is compiling this book of Psalms, and he's putting it together for our benefit all these years later. And I love this Psalm because it's almost like a Psalm that um, summarizes all of the Psalms, because the book of Psalms is about really this idea of how do we walk through the good and the bad of life? How do we navigate the good times and the bad times? And David, <clears throat> as he goes through this, really gives us that picture, kind of his whole life and how he walks with the Lord throughout that. And so the first fill in the blanks can be the way of the righteous, the way of the righteous. And so you'll see a similar theme as you go through the Psalms, especially the ones that David wrote in the Proverbs, because he'll give us some ideas of someone who's wise or someone who's righteous. Uh, and then he'll go back to this place of somebody who is wicked or somebody who's unrighteous or somebody who doesn't follow God. And then he'll give us like a summary statement. And so that, that's what's going to happen. So in these first uh, eight verses we're going to look at, that's what he's going to do. He's going to kind of share with us where we should be or some good practices for us, the way of the righteous as we navigate life. And so verses one and two say this, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend my cry. Give ear to my, pr- ear to my prayer of, li- of my lips, free of deceit. <clears throat> From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. And so at this point in David's life, um, he's, he's not uh, a little child or anything. He's, he's grown up, he's been anointed king, and, and he's running from Saul. And so uh, while in the middle of this, uh, he knows that he can go to God no matter what happens. He knew that before he, he took down the lion that was going to eat the lamb, he knew God was right there. He knew he could go to him. And so in the same way, he's practicing these things that he's learned. And whether or not it's a small difficulty or a large difficulty, the same concepts apply and so in the way of the righteous, he says, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. And so that word for give ear is auzan in the Hebrew, and it just means to give special attention. Now, we know God's omnipresent. He's, all, he's everywhere at all times, right? And nobody else can do that, just God. Uh, but yet as believers, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, and so we have the special presence of God. But we all know there's times where uh, especially in the difficulty. When we go to God, we feel like He's even closer to us than other times. We feel like when He's holding us in our arms and He's looking at us and He just says, tell me what you need to tell me. And we say, I could, God, I could be here forever. And that's what David says. He, says. he says, give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. 
So there's a key here that as David's walking with God, he really believes that God can hear him and he's walking in right fellowship. Um, we should remember that. So we, we, we can't live lives that, that like, act, like we act like God's not really there, right? Or we act like we can do whatever we want and we can live however we want and we can, we can do whatever we want with our money and our possessions and our power. I like what Matt said um, when he was um, kind of just giving us an introduction to the morning. And, and we didn't talk about the quiet time, but he talked about the rich young ruler. And so sometimes we think we're not that person, right? Sometimes we think that as we look at texts like this, we go, yeah, <laughs> lips free from deceit, instead of going, is that true? Am I really in that place? And so um, always as we're going to the Lord, we, we need to know that he's going to accept us no matter what. But how much closer can we be to him when we can say something like what David said? He says, give ear, give me special attention. God, I want to have the special connection with you to my prayer from lips free of, from, free of deceit. And so then in two, he says, from your presence, let my vindication come, that your eyes behold the right and so the same word here for give ear, because I really want to focus in on this, is in, found in Deuteronomy 1.45, and it says this, And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So the people in the Old Testament, again, they regularly, they would turn away from God, and they would, they would, then they would come back, and they go, oh, God, we're so sorry. Like in this instance in Deuteronomy, they were supposed to enter the promised land, and they didn't, and then God was like, okay, well... <laughs> Uh, we're going to have to wait this one out, okay, and, and see how things go. And so God gives them some time to think about that, and a generation passes away. And, and he wants to remind them, hey, there's this special connection that you can have with me. But but how close do we really want to be to God? Do we want to kind of keep him at arm's length, even though we, uh, through the new covenant, have the Holy Spirit? Do we want to just say, okay, I got I'm thankful that I have that, but uh, there's some stuff that I'd like to keep a certain way, and then I'd, I'd like you not to touch. And so if we could do that, but then you're there when I need, need you, then, then all things are good. But, but David's life was all about, no matter what's going on, I want to have you presently in my life. I want to have this special connection with you. And it wasn't when, just when things were going bad. It was when things were going great as well. And so then he talks about the heart and the mouth in verse 3. And he says, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. You will find nothing. I have proposed that my mouth will not transgress. So there's a lot of things going on in verse 3. So David kind of sets this up as like, here, here was not so good a time. And here's what I was thinking when this was going on. And he, and he writes that down. And he says, God, give attention to my cry. Give ear. It's this hopeful expectation that he will, because he's been in all kinds of other situations. And then in verse 3, he says, you have tried my heart. And in the Hebrew, the word bakan is, uh, just means this, you have proven my heart. You've examined it. You've scrutinized it. Have you ever felt like that? Like when you're reading through the word and you're just like, oh man, like that's an area that I really feel like I need to work on. And sometimes we go, all right, I'm going to close the Bible now because it's making me feel uncomfortable. Right? Sometimes we do that. But instead of that, maybe David is, he's like celebrating this, right? He's like, when, when God's uncovering these things, when he, he says, you have tried my heart, a lot of us are like, I don't like that to happen. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to try my heart. But yet David says, you have tried my heart. You've examined it. You've scrutinized it. And sometimes that's painful for us. But David's celebrating. says, you've tried my heart. You've visited me by night. What's he talking about? You've tried my heart. You visit me by night. What typically happens at night? Like we're alone by ourselves with our thoughts. Uh, David knows that God knows him completely. 
that he understands him, that he's walking with him daily. And that's why he says this, you have visited me by night. So uh, wherever we are in, in the dark of the night and the thoughts that we have, do the honor of the Lord because David says, hey, you, you visit me at night, right? God, you, you know everything. You know everything that's going on. It's not like it's a secret to you. And then he says, you've tested me and you will find nothing. Whoa, how could we, how could we even make a statement like that? Well, David, who we know made mistakes, the Bible said that he was a man after God's own heart, so we know that life is really about pursuit, right? And so we've talked about that in, in the weeks before this week, that it's not about being perfect, right? We can't be perfect. Jesus was the only one who could do that. That's why he died on the cross for our sins. And we should always be reminding ourselves and each other and our kids about that. Hannah pulled out the little Easter Jesus book that was a kid's book, but it had Jesus on the cross. And there's really not a point at which somebody's too young. And so she was looking at that and she was going, Okay, like this seems like it's not good, but yet dad's saying it is good, right? It is good that Jesus, the only perfect one, was the one that had to die for us. And David, well, he understood that God, he tested him. And he says, you will find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. And so David not only knows that, that uh, God knows everything, right? He's he searched him, he's tested him, he's tried him. And then he says, I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. This word in the Hebrews, amen, uh, just means I have devised a plan. I have purpose. So, so just a question, does godliness happen by accident? No, it doesn't, right? So we don't just like wake up in the morning and go like, okay, I've had my coffee. Like, I'm feeling great. Like, God, have a good day. I will talk to you later. And then the whole day just goes really well. And, um, you know, you, you, you just feel like, man, the Holy Spirit's growing me, but yet, you haven't spent any time with him. You haven't read the word. You haven't prayed about anything. And David says here, I've come up with this plan, right? I've devised a plan that I want to be close to the Lord. And so he says, I've purposed, I've devised this plan that I'm actually going to do something about it. And it involves, well, part of my being, my heart, my mind, my mouth. Here he says, I've purposed that my mouth will not transgress. Do we wake up in the morning and go, God, I do not, I do not want to defame your name. God, I, I don't want to do anything that would dishonor you. Uh, maybe, and I'm, I'm you know, just as much the fault as anybody else. Sometimes I wake up and I'm just like, okay, I've got 100 things to do. Let's get going, all right? Uh, so instead of going, God, the first thing that I want to think about, the first thing that I want to be about, and would you just remind me throughout the day, because I want to have this purposed plan in place that I'm, I'm going to honor you with everything that I have. And he says, I've purposed this. It's a plan. So we can't just think that like, we're just going to fall into godliness. David knew that's not how it worked, right? He said, I'm going to purposely pursue you. And then in verse four, it says, with regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violence. So David's going to go over some steps and some keys. And he's saying, not only do I have this perspective, not only do I have a plan, let me tell you a little more about the plan. And so for the righteous, he says, with regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violence. So David's going, let me tell you a little bit about the plan. Let me tell you a little bit about the plan of the righteous. And he says, here's how you do this. In regards to the works of man, everything that man does, everything that man thinks is right, everything that man thinks is good, like everything that man thinks will help him succeed in life, he says, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. 
And so how do we walk in righteousness? Well, David, he says it right here. He says, by your words, by your word, God, I'm going to think on those things. So, right? so we get up and we say, hey, uh, God, hey, I'm going to go to you. I want to be with you forever, not only in this life, but in the life to come, because I know that you're always listening to me. You're the greatest listener of all time. And he says, here's just step one. There's going to be a few steps, right? Some things that we need to practice. And I always love it, especially when we, we work with teenagers for so long. They're like, I just don't know. How am I supposed to follow God? Like, what am I supposed to do? And that's a valid question, right? Because we all go, life is so crazy. Life is so difficult. It's so complicated and busy. How do we actually do this? Well, David's given us practical steps here, so we should write these down. So how do we avoid the works of man? Well, we focus on the word of God to avoid violent ways. And in verse 5, he, get, he, he talks about actual steps. And he says, my steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. And so you always know when like you're going across the, um, like a river, right? Um, or like a, a little dam. So it's got water flowing on it. It's got all the moss and things. So it's really slippery, right? So as you know, kids, you think it's a better idea to cross some of those things. Or you see the stones and you're, you're, you're walking from one to the next and then one's not so stable, right? It slips out from underneath you. Well, when David's talking about these steps, he's not talking about steps that we're like not unsure of, right? He's, he's saying, here are these steps. Here are these ways in which we can walk. He says, my steps have held fast, to your paths. It's not this path that's unstable because he says, my feet have not slipped, right? So it's not this unstable path. He's going, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go, God, I don't want to defame you. I want to do everything right. I want to follow you. And I've, furthermore, I've got this plan. And it involves a few things because I know you're listening. I know if I talk to you, you're going to help me with this. You're going to give me right perspective. He says, my steps have held fast to your paths. And I love this because we look at other places in the Bible and I thought of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 when, we, when I was reading through this. And it says this. You probably know it. Maybe many of you by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Well, so how do we do this? Well, we, we lean on the Lord. We don't think that like the works of man, like the rest of the world, well, we've got understanding. So we can make this thing work, right? We know what's best. When in reality... God knows what's best. But are we thinking that when we wake up? We're going, God, I, I want to honor you. Everything that I do in my life, I want that to be about you. And in verse 6, he talks about our conversation. And so he says, I call upon you, for you will answer me. Oh, God, incline your heart to me. Hear my words. And so I love when David's talking to God or about God. He has this confidence, right? And sometimes we're just like, God, I'm not sure. Like, are you listening? Are you there? Are you really the greatest listener? Are you going to give us some help? To navigate this life. Well, yeah, he does. He's not only given it to us in his word, but in confidence. So this is how we're supposed to walk. And, and not everybody's super confident in everything. That's okay. Some of us are better at one thing while another one is better at this. And so uh, we all have confidence in different areas of life, but we should all have confidence in God through his word and the relationship that we have with him. Because he says, I call upon you for you will answer me. So what does David know about God? Well, he knows he's the greatest listener of all time. And when he talks to him, he says, you will answer me. How many of us, when we like, we get up in the morning, we go, oh, I guess I should read my Bible again. Like, I don't know if God's going to say anything to me. I'm just, you know, uh, hopefully he does, right? But do we come with this hopeful expectation that not only like David knew and all these practices that he, he lived out his life, he says, I'm going to call upon you. 
and you're going to answer me. Now, this isn't saying to God, you're going to do what I say. No, this is saying, this is who God is. I think sometimes we forget that in God's nature and his character, he, because he's connected to us, because he has a relationship with us through Jesus, he says, I'm going to answer you. If you, call, if you call to me, I'm going to answer. And David knew, he says, for you will answer me. Oh, God, incline your ear to me. Hear my words. And then in verse 7, uh, this is another reminder. This is who God is. Because when we start to forget who he is, when we start to forget that he wants to be with us, that when we are being held by him and we, just, we, we feel like that, God, I want to be with you forever, we can have that perspective. It's right. And how do we do that? Well, what David said in verse 7, he says, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. <clears throat> so what is God, what is David, what is he saying to a guy? He says, Wondrously show your steadfast love. Like what's our expectation? That in Hebrew, this word steadfast love, has said, which is used all throughout the Old Testament, his loving kindness. God, would you, sh-? it's almost like <laughs> David's going, God, would you show off? Because I really enjoy it when you do that. I just love celebrating that and, and thinking like, God, you are so awesome. Like when we get up in the morning, do we go, you know what, God, I would really like you to show off your loving kindness and like just display your glory and your power. You know, I've been praying for that person that I know doesn't know you. And I know I have a relationship with them. God, maybe you, maybe you could use me or maybe you could use somebody. I just want you to show off. Would you demonstrate your steadfast love? And that maybe someone would come to know you today. I mean, do we have like this hopeful expectation? Because he says, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. David has confidence in who God is. He's got this loving kindness. He's saying, God, would you just show, would you show off your, your, your wondrous kindness? Show it off, your steadfast love. God, I just want the world to see that. I want it to be displayed, and so I can celebrate you too. And then in verse 8, he says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And this idea of the shadow of his wings, David, he, he's, um, he's been writing from the perspective of he's been attacked by Saul, he's been trying to kill by Saul. Um, Saul dies, he takes over the kingship, and all the way along he's learning these things about how to follow God rightly. And here in verse 8, I think he takes a step into the future. So he's, he's towards the end now, he's going to go back to wickedness, and he's going to talk about that in the next section. But here he says, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Um, and it's a phrase that's used that really kind of points to the, the overarching care or um, uh, blanketing of God for us. I don't know if you've ever seen like, you know, like larger birds when they're, you know, they have little babies and they're in the nest and they're trying to take care of them and there's a storm coming. What do they do? They spread their wings over the nest, right? Because they don't want that little baby to fall out or to get blown around. And so in the same way, he says this, and there was a guy um, named Leo the Great, he was a bishop of Rome in 440 AD, he said this about verse 8, this should be the careful consideration of the wise, that since the days of this life are short and time uncertain, death should never be unexpected for those who are to die. So <laughs> Leo, he had pretty good perspective on things, right? He said, hey, life is short, so what are we going to do with this life that we have? Are we going to think that, hey, <clears throat> I'm going to kind of do, the, do life the way I want, and things are going to work out the way that I want, and I'm going to have everything that I want, or are we going to be God with whatever time you give me, whether that's short or whether it's long? In reality, it's not very long, no matter how you, long you live. He says, <clears throat> hide me in the shadow of your wings. 
Keep me as that apple of your eye. God, I want to I just be held by you. I want to be loved by you. I want to experience that loving kindness. And God gives that freely. And so David, <clears throat> he's going to turn the page here from verse 8, and he's going to go into uh, verse 9, and he's going to talk about the way of the wicked. So this will be kind of just short for us, but I want to remind us about what David talks about the wicked. So go ahead and write that down, the way of the wicked. And so David like many others in the Old Testament, but he's known for this. <clears throat> he goes back and forth. And he says, here's how we should live. Here's how we should operate. And then the second part of this, in verse 9, he says, from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. Um, there, there wasn't really a point in David's life um, outside of him being a boy, like a shepherd boy who his only enemies were like lions and bears, which those would be pretty formidable enemies also. They're trying to steal the sheep. But when David moves from this point to defeating Goliath, he only starts to gain enemies. And he never gets less enemies as he gets older and as he grows in his, his life and his kingship. So he's either fighting animals. He's fighting giants. He's, uh, he's fighting the king of Israel, and although he's been anointed king. And then he's fighting his own family. His sons, who he cares for, say, you know what, Dad? I'm going to take everything from you because I think I know what's best. Can you imagine being in David's situation? And so he writes from this perspective of, he says, from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. And this is a continuation of the last verse. He goes, God, I know that you're holding on to me. You're holding me in your arms. You're in the shadow of my wings. But this is how the world will react. And not necessarily in a good way to the righteous, right? And we've seen that happen all throughout history. And people who have been uh, martyred in David's, no different here. He says in verse 10, they close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. And I know when we read these things too, we kind of think, yeah, I know some arrogant people. Don't point anywhere, okay? I know some people who are wicked, right? But just be careful that we remember that, kind of like what Matt said, as we examine our own lives and we see things in the text, it's easy to go, yeah, God, I know some people like that, right? But David's revealing some things. It's not just a, he, he's going, here's how I want to pursue you, God. Here's how I want to be, God. I want to be with you forever. I want to walk with you, God. I know that you are the greatest listener, so I want to come to you first and foremost before anything else, and I want to live my life in a certain way. And in contrast with that, he goes, but here's what I don't want to be about. And you know what? In my life, <laughs> David says, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of bad stuff. I've seen a lot of victim, victimization. I've seen a lot of people try to take me down, and God, I don't, I don't want to be like that towards anybody else. And if you remember, David, throughout all of those struggles, he's very rarely coming to this position of taking vengeance or going, hey, you're going to get what you deserve, right? Because guess who I got on my team? Yeah, God, right? So does David do that? No, he, every time somebody falls, he, he, he's like, oh, man, I really wish that's not the way that it went. He'll tear his clothes with his own family. Like, why, would he, he goes, why would they do this? But yet God lifts him up and he says, God, this is not the way that I want to live. I'm going to be sorrowful over people who live like this. <clears throat> so this can't be how, how we live either. In verse 11, he says, they have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. And so this is what David sees. He, 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 he knows how to live righteously and he just keeps telling people, he's like, here's how we should live following God. Here's what we should do. And there's people all around him from the surrounding nations who are trying to take over the kingdom too, as well as his own family. And as he's getting later in life, 
he, he starts to understand that, man, there's, there's so many people out there. There's so many people that are all about themselves. They're, what are they doing? They're like lions, eager to tear as young lions lurking in ambush. And David knew some things about lions, too. So as he thinks about things at the end of his life, he's going, man, I wish I was just fighting that one lion. <laughs> that would have been easier than all these people who walk in wickedness. You know what they're like? They're like these lions. They're eager to tear something apart, right? Ever seen like a little, like a baby cat, like starts to learn, you know, those skills, like those prey skills, and they're like hiding behind the corner, and they like come out and tackle the little, you know, fake mouse. Well, David's going, yeah, I've seen that in big form, right? And it's not pretty when it's a real lion. It's even worse when it's a person who would choose not to follow God and wants to live life in such a way that that's all they're about, right? They just like, who can I take advantage of now, right? And that's not who we are. And David says, this is not how we should live. And in verse 13, he says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. Is David in any of these instances, like when, throughout his life, he's going like, all right, let me get the guys together. I'm going to go take them out. Now, he does this with foreign nations that are opposing God, but there's all these people that are even within his own family within the nation of Israel who are trying to take things from him, who are trying to kill him. And he's just going, oh, God, like, would you handle things? Would you help us? He says, arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. So David is this guy, although the Bible talks about him as, as a really, really awesome warrior. Um, he, he had lots of mighty men. He had a lot of guys who were like, really great warriors who followed him because they were like, whatever David does, like we should do that because it's going to go well, okay? And so even though he's this person, even though he's the kind of person that, you know, if people were like looking for somebody to be an earthly leader, well, it certainly would have picked him too. But God did not because he, he was awesome and he thought he was awesome. It was because he thought God was awesome. And here was his perspective. God's the greatest listener of all time. And I know when I go to him and I, I just sit in his arms and, he, and, he, and I'm able to look at him and say, God, I just want to be here forever. He goes, that's the right perspective. And this is how we experience life. And really we expo- experience to the fullness. Um, and we'll see that there's going to be something else that we experience um, in, the, in verse 15 when we close this out. But in 13, he says, again, arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. So God knows he's going to handle this. And then in verse 14, um, this is going to be man playing his final hand. And we're going to see how it's going to go. In verse 14, it says, From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. Now, when we read this, you may go, Oh, those are some good things. Like, that's not bad. Like, hey, you know, you fill their womb with treasure. That's great, God. Thank you for, you know, blessing them. And they're satisfied with children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. We know that too, right? So those are not bad things. And they leave their abundance to their infants. Well, that's really nice. They, like, saved up some money, and they put it in, a, like, a, a bank account, or they had this house, and they, they gave it, you know, to their kids. And I'm sure their kids were, like, so happy about that. Well, what is David saying here? He's saying, who do, who do I want to be saved from, God? What perspective do I want to be saved from? This perspective that our portion, that the wicked's portion is in the world. So what happens when we die? Do we take anything with us? No, we don't, right? 
And so in the Proverbs, you'll see this, this represented that you can have a long life, you can acquire a lot of stuff, wealth, position, power, and you can hand it all down to your kids. Here's this question. What happens if your kid's a fool? The Bible talks about that. and says everything that you worked for your entire life, if that was your focus, if your focus was like setting up your kids really well, or your kids' kids, and they're like, man, I really love that. Man, I love my dad. Like he, just, like he did everything really well. He set us up. But then where was God in the midst of that? And David says it here, save me from this kind of perspective that the only thing that my life would be about or the worldly perspective, this portion that's just in this life. Because this life, what did Leo say? It's short, right? So what does our perspective need to be? That everything in this life, although God gives us for a reason to help us, to buy food, to have a place to sleep, right? We talk about those things with our kids all the time. We should thank God for a place that we have to sleep, for a roof over our head, because not everybody has that. And certainly, some people live even more lavishly, and we're, we're just going like, God, we have everything that we need. We should be thankful for that. And he says, what do they do? Well, they fill their womb with treasure. They're satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. End of story. Instead of, they step into eternity with God forever in heaven, and they are satisfied. But you know what the people of the world, you know those who are wicked, you know what they're satisfied in? And they're not even bad things, right? They're not even, they're good things. But when again, when we make those things ultimate, when we make treasure for ourselves ultimate, when we make having children, we go, oh, our hopes and all of our dreams, even though kids are great and God gives them as a blessing, that's not what all of life is about, right? It's about spending our lives seeking God whole heartedly and continuing to grow with him until we step into eternity. And he says, and they even do something else good, but it's not the greatest thing they could do with their life. They leave their abundance to their infants. Again, that's, that's so nice. We should, we should plan on doing something good for our kids, right? So for leaving something to them, but then we should remind them, hey, this isn't going to last very long. Whatever I give you, whatever I leave you, it's not as important as following God wholeheartedly with the entirety of your life. And then David ends it with this, and this is just one verse. This is the last fill in the blank. The way of the satisfied. The way of the satisfied. So we have how, how to live righteously, how to walk with God in the way of wickedness. Here's how the world lives. And there's even some things that when we look at on the outside, we think those are really good things. But if we make them the most important things, oh, they become wickedness, don't they? And then David says, here's the key. Here's what to remember in all of this. As he writes this psalm, he's at the end. Solomon's already been anointed king, and he's not doing so well. The Bible even talks about this, that he was sick, and in one of the last battles that he had, he was kind of an older guy. He was like late 70s, 80, and, and he went into battle, and he almost got killed. And his guys were like, hey, God would really not like this. We'd bring really bad fortune upon Israel if you died being king in this way, being killed by a foreign nation. So let's not do that. You don't go into battle again. We're going to take care of things. And David, at the very end, he's got this in perspective. I can no longer fight myself. I can no longer do anything. So we all get to that place, right? The ailments and those things creep in and, and difficulty and disability. And David's perspective, he says in verse 15, as for me, I love that statement because Joshua makes a similar one where he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's, that's Joshua at kind of the beginning of the journey going to the promised land. And David at the end, he says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So 
is, is this us? Are we satisfied in everything else that the world has to offer, even good things that God gives us? Or do we come to this place where we say, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. We get up in the morning and we say, God, I just want to be here in your presence. I want to read your word. I want to pray. God, I want you to reveal things to me that I need to know. And God, I could be here forever. Why? Because you're the greatest listener of all time. And, and we don't learn. We don't grow in wisdom. We don't grow in knowledge in God's word unless we're going to him. And we have that perspective of humility. He says, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake, when I get up. David says a lot of these things like this. When I get up, what am I going to do? When I get up, when I get up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, like where is God? He says, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness, with who you are. And St. Augustine said this about verse 15. We started with him. We'll kind of end with him. Although I've got a few other things to share. He said, why talk about those treasures of wisdom and knowledge about those divine riches, if not because they are what suffice us? And why talk about the multitudinous sweetness, if not because it is what satisfies us? He will convert us and show us his face, and we shall be saved. We shall be satisfied. He will suffice us. So at the end of the day, is God enough? And that's the question. Um, sometimes God makes us see this more clearly when we're like going through something really bad. Maybe a family member's going through a sickness or an illness, and we go, God, you really do satisfy me. You really do fulfill me. And so as I was reading through this, I, uh, I remembered a movie um, that Christy and I watched recently. It always comes back to that. Like, you think of movies, like God reminds you of things in that. And it was the movie, movie The Greatest Showman, and uh, it was a movie that uh, starred uh, Hugh Jackman. He's a great singer. I don't know if you knew that. He's pretty good, like beating people up and doing that kind of stuff. But apparently he sings too. So uh, if, you, if you ever watch that movie, uh, musicals, maybe you're not into that. But there was a particular song in there that kind of highlighted the world's perspective. And so I want to read that for you. And then uh, I'd like to um, do a song for us. And we're just going to stand and sing together to end. And so in The Greatest Showman, there was a song, Never Enough. And I listened to it a few times because I was like, wow, this is like really the world's perspective, isn't it? And so just like this in wickedness, David knows what it really satisfies us. But here kind of encompasses the world's perspective. It says, this is just a line through the song, all the shine of a thousand spotlights. You thought I was going to sing it right. No, I'm just going to say it. All this, again, it was a lady who sang it anyway. It's not going to work out. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world. It'll never be enough, never be enough for me. So when we think about these things, things that people sing about, they talk about all the time, they're all throughout our culture. It's not like the world doesn't know, right? It's not like the world is constantly going like, I've tried this and it doesn't work. I've tried this and it doesn't work. I'm on my deathbed and guess what? I tried it all and it didn't work. It didn't satisfy me. And David says, I am at the end. And here's all the things that have taken place. But here's what I want to focus on most. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Is God enough? And that's the question. Well, if we have this perspective that we really do have these living ears that are in our life, and they're the ears of God, the greatest listener of all time. And so if we can have that perspective, we'll always go to him. Uh, we'll have, always have joy and fulfillment in him. And so um, and what I'd like to do is um, just do a song. Um, it actually came out from a recent uh, Chris Tomlin album, uh, and uh, I'm actually going to have uh, a couple of the girls um, come help us out here. And so, uh, girls, if you want to come up, we're actually just going to sing a song together, so you can go ahead and stand up. 
Um, I love uh, doing this because um, this is kind of how I started out. It really is how I started out in ministry, um, doing worship ministry. I've got both of them over here. They're right here. So there you go. I think that's on. Check, check. Okay. So for those of you who like country music, nobody has to raise their hand. Okay. I'm not a super big fan of it either, but Chris Tomlin did an album with uh, a bunch of artists that wouldn't necessarily call themselves Christians. Uh, but yet they wrote these songs about God. And so as I was studying through this, I just I came across this song, and I thought, oh, man, that's, that's a really good one. I think it's something that reminds us about what we need to be about. And the words will be on the screen, too. So you are welcome to sing along. The God who made the winters and the summers The one who put the stars all in their place The only one who stands above all others Yeah, he knows me by name The angels The angels hide their faces in his presence The demons run for cover when you speak. You rule the world and reign above the heavens. And still draw close to me when I close my eyes. And when I close my eyes, I know that I'm not just hoping. I'm not just wishing. I know I'm praying to a God who listens. I know He hears me. I know He's living. Yes, I am praying to a God who listens. He walks with me. He walks with me and leads me by still waters. I lay my troubles down at His feet. It's amazing that the Savior and the Father, He is a friend of me. How can it be that when I close my eyes, I know that I'm not just hoping, I'm not just wishing, I know I'm praying to a God who listens, I know He hears me, I know He's living, yes I am praying to a God who listens. Who knows me? Who loves me? Let's sing that together. Who knows me? Who loves me? Who never feel me? Who tells me that I am his own? Surround me, remind me, you always are for me. So I come boldly to your throne. 
Sing that again. I'm not, I'm just hoping. I'm not just hoping. I'm not just wishing. I know I'm praying to a God who listens. I know He hears me. I know He's living. I know I'm praying to a God who listens. God, we pray uh, that that would be the way that we live. Uh, that we're not just hoping. Uh, that we're not just wishing. That we pray to a God who is listening. God, we know that you do. God, we pray that in the mornings when we get up, like David said, all throughout his life, uh, that we would be of people who know that you hear us, that we would believe that you really are the greatest listener of all time. God, as we pray, remind us when we falter, when we doubt, um, that you really do listen, you care. God, if we could just be in your arms forever, that's where we would want to be. God, we thank you that when we do step into eternity, that that is the place that we will be forever. Help us to keep the right perspective, that you do listen and you do care. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Love you, church family. Have a wonderful Sunday. Enjoy the nice weather.